0: Hi everybody and welcome to episode 61 of the No Country Podcast. My name is J. David Osborne and that is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening?
1: Okay, I'm in gangster land. I'm in Thugland. in my beautiful community. You know, I mean, I, I like wear a tag-hoyer watch and drive a new car. And I, I'm a professional, you know, educated communicator. And yet, you know, I I live in a very diverse community that has just been taken over by some serious uh, gangster thugs. So, you know, we're going to see how that rolls. It's all cool at the moment. I mean, they're, you know, they're not disrupting the situation right now. You don't hear gunshots, do you? So um, I'm just, you know, grateful for every day and excited about the possibility of tomorrow
0: excellent okay well this is the first episode of our patreon only show and as such i figured we would split this thing up into segments so that our listeners would know what to expect going forward we're going to start with current events we are going to move into uh, some very interesting ideas that you've had about language and its origins and its ability uh, to connect, uh, specifically as a teaser, something that I thought was very interesting, the idea of the flesh-made word, which is a reversal of what people typically think of, which is the word-made flesh, popularized by probably the greatest bestseller of all time. Um, the, yeah, the, the yeah. Boy. Um, and then we will move on into our practical tip slash my mental exercise. And from there we will talk about a dream and then that will be the episode. So thanks to everybody who is subscribed. We appreciate it. This is our own private secret community. Can say anything we want here. Listen, listen, fuck. Boom. I said it. I said it and I'm not sorry. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but okay, cool. So we will start off with our issues that are going on this week in the news. And we're not going to be doing. Oh, wait a minute. What's, oh, what's, what? Just
1: wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change it up. You know, um, the Cy Young Award winning pitcher, Vada Blue, once came to watch me pitch. Uh, when I was 14 and he said, son, he drove a blue Cadillac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a Cy Young award-winning pitcher for the Oakland A's. And he said, son, you, you got to always change it up. Got to always change it up. So what we've done in the past is we've given David also, in addition to an imaginative challenge, and he's he has to deliver a riddle which we gave him last time, uh, like a full-scale world-class riddle, okay? Mm. He's going to be participating in a world human forum of, of championship. And I've got another challenge for him, which is because he needed a little bit more time last time, and I agree with that. That, that, was, a real, that was a big deal. So I've got another challenge for him coming up. But what we also are doing is getting him to use, uh, and I really recommend this, this. This is a really simple exercise. Whenever you're going out with someone, even if you're just hanging with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, have some words that you need to introduce into the conversation and see if you can slip them in as with some real subtlety and nuance so that they don't even know what's going on. But this time, this episode, because this is our first full Patreon episode, we're going to reveal a little bit of what's going on. I'm going to give David five words to choose from and he's got to slip two in here over the course of the next hour or 45 minutes uh, with, with some degree of finesse. And here are the words. Hiccup formulaic, seesaw, pugnacious, and rattle trap. So we're going to listen for how subtle Mr. Osborne is. And he's becoming more and more subtle. His mind is becoming more and more fluid and flexible. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, we want muscularity. Muscularity is cool. But we like acrobatics too, you know? I mean, it, it, it helps to sit or see someone do a standing backflip, you know? That's inspiring. So we want David to be able to use words very, very smoothly. And I'm not going to repeat them. He's going to have to pick that up on the, on, the, on the quick, you know? We want people who are sharp, you know? If you're not sharp and you're not fast, well, I don't know what to say, you know? Uh, we're trying to help you make, you know, get sharper and faster. It's something I'm doing all the time. You know, we've got to stay alert. We've got to stay alive. Otherwise, we lose our memory. We lose our minds. We start being just doddering old fools, you know, in our 40s. Really? No, no. That's just not going to happen. So we're going to get sharp. We're going to get sharp in a Solomon Island sense and really, really be cool. Um But David's got a riddle from the past episode coming up. I gave him two uh, formula riddles. They're always formulas, of course they are. That's all right. Everything's a formula. Chemistry is a formula, thank you very much. Uh, But I have one other idea, which is a really simple idea. So we're giving him two points of pressure. We want to put pressure on minds. Pressure on minds is if it's respectful, is a good thing. I've got some dubious people living downstairs. Uh, very dubious. They may be hunting for the dead mother's fortune, which I don't think it exists. Mm-hmm. I knew that woman. I swam with her. I, I picked her up off the, off the pavement when she blacked out drunk. I don't know how much money she really had but they're looking for something. So in addition to David delivering his result on the riddle from last episode, he has to think about what they're what they're knocking on the walls for. What are they looking for? Is it jewelry? Is it bearer bonds? You know, it's not going to be gold or silver. That's going to take up too much space. This is a woman who didn't invest in bank accounts, but she might have had a key to a security deposit. So there are a few things that we're going to put some pressure on Mr. Osborne because he's a young father, he's he's a supple mind, and the more pressure we put on people that we respect, the greater the result. Have faith in that as an idea and be a good friend to intellectually capable people and challenge them. Okay, so there we go. Sounds
0: good. My riddle from last time um, has to do with the second riddle that you did. So it's a take on that, but it has to do with what we're living through currently, which is a health crisis here in America. So you are working in a lab funded by, I don't know, let's call him Dr. Mauchi. And <laughs> you are working on several diseases, and the word comes down from the shadowy cabal on high that you must release one of your projects into the populace because we need more fear, more surveillance, etc. Every conspiracy theory that you can think of is true, and this is all an organized plan to control the masses. But you are a moral person. You don't want, you want to do the least amount of damage possible. But they have a gun to your head. They've threatened your family. They've threatened to freeze all of your bank accounts and seize your house and send your children to Gitmo if you don't release one of your projects. Now, one of them is an airborne virus that <laughs> will cripple 10% of all people under 18. The second will blind 15% of everyone over the age of 80. And the third is guaranteed through multiple, multiple tests to be 100% guaranteed to kill a ton of people. Now, being that you don't wanna hurt that many people, you wanna cause the least amount of harm possible, which one do you pick?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Should I just leave it I'll buy. or do you want to try it? To- yeah.
1: yeah, we're going to pick this up at the end. I I think you're getting on to this and I think that listeners will hear that you know, you back someone smart up into a corner and you change the nature of the corner. You know? Mm-hmm this is this is my teaching methodologies that you, you you don't do anyone any favors by always just hitting them softballs you know you could do that forever uh you get people who are smart uh, into a corner and you change the nature of the corner which is what we're all trying to do for all of us you know we're trying to get our, ourselves out of the of the spider corner you know it it, it, it the only way to do that is to uh, to pitch a few lateral sort of things uh, at people and, and just trust in their good faith to, to be competitive, to be uh, strong, uh, to have some self-esteem and to be able to engage with some imaginative fun. Because if you don't want to have imaginative fun and if you don't want to play, you know, well... Okay, just go watch the view, you know, and the NFL highlights and and you know, y- you can do that. But people who want to be in, in the game, they like some challenge. They like some uh some thrust and parry, you know? It's just it's just natural.
0: Cool. All right, sounds good. Well, moving on to the week in Doom. This is our segment called The Week in Doom. I wanted to talk about two things. Number one was an article you sent me from the BBC about the agents of doom, uh, which was a pretty good summation of the catastrophic threats that humanity faces today. And one of those is tech slash AI companies. So these two things fold into each other because the second thing that I wanted to talk about was Facebook's recent reveal of its name change to, to meta, uh, and it's unveiling of the metaverse, which is a virtual reality that you can live in and work in and have meetings in. People can choose different avatars for themselves. So you could be, you and I could be talking and you could be an octopus and I could be a grizzly bear. I don't know. Um, There are some interesting things about Facebook changing its name to Meta. Number one is that the Hebrew word Meta actually means death or dead, (laughs) uh, which I thought was uh, pretty hilarious. Um, The second thing is that the Metaverse is becoming a thing more and more in decentralized networks, in places like Erbit. Um, It's essentially this idea of living more and more of your life uh, online and i think that this kind of thing is unescapable but we're essentially going to be faced with the challenge of choosing what kind of metaverse we want to engage in so when it comes to the facebook issue i would just encourage everybody who's listening to this if you haven't left facebook already to seriously consider it and when meta becomes a thing and you have the option to put on those vr goggles and go into meta space just don't do it myspace was the premier social media platform 15 years ago and nobody has a myspace anymore and facebook slash meta can go that way too chris do you have any thoughts about meta
1: well, you know, I I really support exactly what you're saying. I mean, I put a lot of time into my MySpace page uh, because I was then introducing a lot of music mm-hmm. uh, that that I was involved with or directly creating, um, and I really, you know, I I, I crafted that. I, I I put in hours. I thought it was a tremendous platform of of world communication. I I I was really the idealist, romantic uh, believer in social media at that time. And then, of course, it completely became a graveyard. And then we suddenly all migrated to Facebook, which I think is a terrible platform, uh, although I'm very grateful for many of the people I've met via that. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm completely suspicious now of this, this movement to meta, I, I think that they're just trying to recoup uh, as much advertising revenue as they possibly can. And I'm reaching out to the people on my Facebook. You know, I've got 5,000 Facebook friends, which is the limit. And uh, I don't really think that that means anything at all. Uh, I'm gonna reach out to the people I actually do know and give them my personal sort of email address and uh, bid a farewell to social media in this sense. I, I, I just don't think it's working for entrepreneurs, for, for artists. I, I just don't know how much real benefit I've, I've ever gained. I mean, how many sales of my books have, have really been generated by the, I mean, I think that there, there are a few, there are, you know, there's some really important ones but maybe 100 people really matter out of 5,000, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm taking that on. I think that's not a bad percentage. I don't blame Facebook for that. But I don't know if I want to continue in this uh, weird zone of uh, social media that isn't under my control, that has a lot of other things going on that I know I don't like, um, and I, I think also the the name Meta is just it's just a stupid, <laughs> yeah. bad bit of copywriting, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that... Uh,
1: I could have come up with that, right. and they wouldn't have had to pay me $150,000, you know?
0: Well, they could pay me $150,000. That's the only thing I want from Facebook. If I get any communications from them at all, I want it to be in the form of uh, U.S. currency. to Six figures, at least... With this Agents of Doom article, they begin by talking about Om Shinrikyo, which we've mentioned on the show before, uh, which is now called ALIF, with a doomsday cult out of Japan that was responsible for the sarin gas attacks in the Tokyo subways in uh, Shinjuku Station, I believe it was. And uh, they then go on to talk about the fact that the Japanese, and I did not know this, uh, waged the most uh, sort of catastrophic and violent biochemical warfare in in known history on the Chinese. Although when reading that article, I think they left out, uh, I think smallpox might have been the first real biological weapon used by settlers here, but I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about the exact numbers. Uh, and also the smallpox idea is a bit i believe there's one letter where they where someone mentions to another that they're handing out smallpox blankets so i'm not sure on the history of that but i'm pretty sure that uh that could have been a covert op to depopulate the native people um so there is the the biological attacks the idea of the nuclear weapons ai taking everything over and also mass surveillance. And so the tech AI slash mass surveillance, that's Facebook right there. I mean, that's that's your issue. Google, Facebook, all these places that are listening to you in order to get your information. They have that famous saying that if you don't know what's being sold to you, you are the product, which is totally the case with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all of it. Um, but the, I thought the thesis of the article was really good, which is that we're so concerned with loan lone wolf terrorists we're concerned about january 6 we're concerned about uh islamic terrorism when the real issue here are people in power who don't have enough checks and balances and what they are allowed to do overstepping their bounds in the name of the acquisition of power in order you know to kind of rule the world and in doing so accidentally setting out a biological weapon or intentionally increasing the surveillance state, or what have you. So, I actually think that BBC article was a really good way of orienting people's minds in this day and age, because we're so constantly distracted by media articles about the new, you know, lone wolf Nazi terrorist that we're all supposed to be afraid of, and you know, all these articles follow this very formulaic pattern where they introduce somebody who has thought patterns that are definitely not socially acceptable, right? It'll be a picture of somebody in in front of a giant swastika flag, and then basically the FBI will bait them into attempting to commit a terrorist act that the FBI then then foils, or in some notable and blackly comic uh, episodes, actually not foil. Um, So that is, I think, a great way of analyzing the news in general if it's not an article that's about large structures of power that uh, are able to destroy the world through negligence or otherwise it's really not worth listening to
1: i i'd go um both further and also very mundane uh to say that i mean i think that uh I mean, we live in a global society today, and I I think that if Americans choose to only hear American perspectives, then they're profoundly American eccentric. You know, I mean, I think that's just, that in itself is an enormous problem, and it doesn't matter about the uh, African American, LGBTQ, progressive, you know, program that gets hammered into all of us if only if your only perspective comes from the American media, uh, you've already cut off a limb, you know, really. Um, and i I just don't think that's a viable proposition. I think that people are more sensible around the world. and I think they also look at things uh, in a way that that is is appropriate to a global, Uh, society a global economy I mean that's my number one problem with the liberal progressive platform is that I think that they are more mega you know than than Trump that they only want to hear about the American perspective from MSNBC or, or you know NPR or the New York Times you know these people are, are, are fundamentally biased, and talk about inherent biases. I mean, come on, they're, they're selling advertising revenue to save their fucking jobs, you know? And I can't believe that anyone could take that seriously without trying, at least. And I admit it, it's very difficult to look beyond the American perspective. Uh, the BBC is, is, has its own problems. But I encourage you know my my media studies students to look at uh, major newspapers who are all, they're all online you know even in the Solomon Islands for God's sake you know just check out what people are talking about in other parts of the world you know absolutely and it's it it's not about this endless Americana you know LeBron. Beyonce, you know, you know, it's not about that, you know, we're just bombarded and surrounded and we also barricade ourselves within the mirrors of American, you know, power. And then these people go, well, you know, we can't have this whiteness happening. We can't have this. other, Well, Actually, step outside of the American perspective for God's sakes. Look at Africa. Africa has an enormous chain of wonderful news outlets. You know, look at what they're saying. You mm-hmm. know, yeah.
0: For a while you know? during the I pandemic, mean, come on. I actually, get global. Yeah. you
1: fuckers. Oh yeah,
0: during the pandemic, I started reading news from Japan and African news sources because it was fascinating to me to see what was. Oh, I also looked at um, Iceland. And I, because I just wanted this kind of triangulation of news from different parts of the world that were not America, just to kind of see what their perspective was. And for the most part, um, Japan and Iceland both seemed to approach the pandemic from a very, comparative to American media, a very level headed way where they expressed that it was a problem that needed to be dealt with and precautions needed to be taken. Uh, many of the uh, African, specifically Nigerian news networks, were a bit more on the skeptical side of the whole the whole thing, um, but it was different from the histrionic attitude that you found in the Anglosphere of America, m- the rest of Europe, and um, Australia and New Zealand, Right. Like the rest of the world just simply Mm. did not respond to this thing the way that we did. And that's not to say that they haven't put, you know, protocols in place to make sure that, you know, I don't know, that their country is becoming a big, you know, TSA line. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the reading the Icelandic newspaper, not the Swedish, by the way, but the Icelandic newspaper uh, was one that really kind of just refreshed... My perspective on things. And I thought, you know, okay, we can can approach this thing without getting crazy in either direction. And we can figure this thing out, which was just sorely lacking from the American side. So great tip um, on that one. We're going to move now into the middle, the meaty, the meaty chunk of the show, where we're going to pick up our conversation on language. And Chris, you sent me an email that began with a line from Kerouac, that says the unspeakable visions of the individual. So that's where I would like to to start. Uh, there's some great stuff in your notes about specifically the invention of language, leading to almost the creation of the the dichotomy of the visible and the invisible, and the abstract and the concrete, and the material and immaterial. So I'm throwing a lot at you, but these are your notes, so it's nothing new to you. But <laughs> where, wherever you'd like to start on that is cool with me, because I think there's a probably actually two episodes worth of stuff in here.
1: Okay, well, I, I first of all, I love that line of Kiriak, the unspeakable visions of the individual. It, 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 it's in its own way just a, a beautiful line of poetry, but... I've spoken to listeners in the past about uh, my time in in remote uh, country in uh, in Melanesia, uh, particularly say New Guinea, and there are different um, configurations of living. There are uh, remote homesteads, which I think we would call in American terms, you know, kind of like you know ranches, I guess. Where You know, a couple or an extended family or a clanal group would be living remotely from other people, and uh, the day-to-day contact would be very minimal, and it would be a a ceremonial sort of connection. Then there are two village ideas of of where villages are, uh, you know, consolidated, but the men and women are segregated. And then there's another uh, plan where it's basically a village... The way that, that Westerners would sort of think of it, kind of a township in the making, which in, in fact become the the, the towns that, that exist today in terms of larger scale population. But at one point I was living in, in a, one of the village contexts, okay? And after two weeks I had a realization, and it was that I'd seen everybody. Everybody. Every person, in our new political correct speech, every day, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, that's 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 kind of. In- I mean, it was sort of intense for me. I realized that I caused them stress by being an outsider, just living amongst them, and I, I, I you know, I just had to deal with that. It was, it was awkward. Uh, but we, you know, we cause people stress just by, by being here. You know, we have to accept that. We cause our, our you know, our mates and our, our, uh, our children and our colleagues stress. You know, we're, we're kind of here to create a little bit of stress. And we hope that maybe the benefits, the positive benefits outweigh that. But I wondered, why am I seeing every single person in this community every day no one's hiding behind their doors and then i thought well that's exactly what's not happening that is exactly the rhetorical point they are coming out in the open they are being social they are being public in a way that we have a hard time dealing with explicitly in in western culture they wanted to be seen i'm still alive I'm, I'm not doing something weird. I haven't beaten my spouse or whatever. I, I'm here, we're all here, everything's good. It was a public display of social participation. And my idea with language is that to some extent I think this is what, where it started. I think it really is about a public display of social connection. But it's also a public display of uh, standardization, fundamental standardization, because we worry about what the individual is up, up to. We worry about, you know, there's a Tom White song, What's He Building in There? You know, mm-hmm. we worry about people who we don't see. And so we should. Are they still alive? You know, are, are they, what are they doing? Are they breeding monsters in there? You know, and this is a good topic for, for a kind of a post-Halloween discussion. You know, what's going on with these individuals who aren't part of the social fabric of language? And my proposition is that language begins in paranoia. And um, it begins in a fear of the secret terrain within other people's minds and that physical behavior although it's very important yeah if someone wields a club at you or tries to you know bonk your wife okay you 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 get with that that that's important but there's an enormous amount of behavior that is really invisible you know it's really invisible and language as a cultural construct as an in inhabiting uh, magical force, is an attempt to bring some of that secret terrain t- to a point of, of public visibility, public and social visibility. That's my proposition. At the
0: mm-hmm. moment. So then from a utilitarian standpoint, it would follow that language should then be used to do things like build connections, create shared rituals, uh, delineate friend from foe, safe territory from dangerous territory. It should have, in a sense, this kind of function. Uh, but I think that perhaps where we've gotten to, uh, and this might not be new, this might be some one of the problems that's built into language in and of itself, is that when it's not serving this, those particular functions, among others that I mentioned earlier, it can be used to. What's the word that I'm looking for? Pontificate, pontificate, or perhaps expound upon the you know the unspeakable vision of the individual. It can make that thing speakable, in in effect. Do you see what I'm getting at? It could be uh, like within isolation and separated from its purpose. Uh, the language that's rooted in paranoia can begin to create a kind of shell around the person using the language.
1: Well, I think it, it, what happens is that it actually takes on a life of its own. That's and what I was trying to very say. Strange, yeah. mm-hmm. This is a very strange feature of language, which... Many cultures around the world really get on to. I think that we in the West are most familiar with the ancient Greeks' uh, appreciation of, of how this happened. But we, we move from what was, you know, I think a, a, a very uh, functionalist um, point of view about language. Um, and, you know, functionalism gets a bad rap. I mean, functionalism is also about making a beautiful obsidian arrowhead, exactly, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's something beautiful right. about it. And there's something that is really perfectly good about it. And, and no one has any issues, you know, really with with that. So functionalism sounds kind of... We now think, oh, that sort of sounds... Know, it sounds like, I don't know, air conditioning and, and just kind of you know, sort of a secondary level of humanity, whereas what what I think it originally meant was something very, very powerful and, and very concrete and very direct. But then language does move into its own world where it is no longer something concrete and magical. Uh, there is a possibility for deception. I mean, and this is what I think that the... Uh, The mention of of the ancient Greeks and their appreciation of sophistry is is something that's important that we might pursue in our next segment. Because there was suddenly an uh, an understanding that not only had language kind of morphed into a creative independent force. And, you know, for reference, we think now of technology in the modern age as being a force unto itself. You can't stop progress, Dave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's just, it's always going to go ahead, you know. And so we think about these things having a life unto themselves, uh, which is a very peculiar idea. Um, but with language, moving from something that was concrete and and spiritual and essentially magical to being something that was also capable of Deception and and uh, the idea of of the lie and and the deeper thing of just confusing someone via language, which is what sophistry and and the Greeks approached. I think it's really worth you know revisiting their ideas about that because they were very concerned about physical science, proto magical science moving into what we now consider to be physics and very serious stem subjects but they at the same time they were really awakened to the problems with language mm-hmm. you know the hermeneutic problems with the epistemology homology problems with language and i think that is something that is maybe their greatest legacy um because other cultures, you know, did a lot of interesting things in terms of physics and mathematics. But I think the Greeks really got on to a problem with how language, the magic of language, can be perverted, subverted, and transverted. And and we're still dealing with that now.
0: Absolutely. Especially when you think about the news, for example. <laughs> uh, the news yes. is the first thing that comes to mind. I read this uh, great quote today. It was from George Orwell. And it was Orwell. he was writing in homage to Catalonia about how he was he was reading, like for the first time in Spain, he was seeing newspapers that were reporting things that were completely separated from reality. He writes that, you know, heroes were being portrayed as cowards and cowards were being portrayed as heroes. And essentially, the newspapers were just parroting a party line. And I think that we see that today in I, I pretty much have a, <clears throat> a strong, hard line about any major mainstream news source. And that is that uh, not a single word that comes out of their mouth is to be believed because it's it's far too complex and it would require way too much parsing to discern what is truth from fiction at this point but i love the idea of of words as magic and the idea that this kind of i think of it as this beautiful sparkling powdery mist that can be used uh to again to unite people and connect people and then because it has this bonding property. Right. But bonds that are too strong become shackles and prisons. Right. So it's almost like you don't want to, it's a sweet spot. It's an oscillation effect where you don't want to use it in one place too hard or, you know, or it kind of becomes sophistry, right. It becomes, uh, you know, language for its own sake, something that's there to, uh, Either enslave you or uh, or just distract you in a certain way. But the idea of it there is the idea, because everybody knows that with magic, there's good uses for it and bad uses for it. And I think that if you make a not exactly one to one, but perhaps put language under the umbrella of different types of magic that you can do, the the negative effects of it can be seen if you just look at something like twitter where language is being used all the time and very little of it to to positive life-affirming social socially connected effect
1: well i think that's so sadly true although i i you know i hesitate to be the adjudicator of you know, I mean, where that would be happening, but I certainly feel completely bereft uh, through these mechanisms. Um, and I th- I think it goes back to, um, you know, the fundamental truth of, of humanity is we were really working on a very small scale at the start. You know, a kind of a few extended families a sort of a hunting clan, you know. We weren't able to really think about all these thousands of people, you know. Uh, one of my good friends who's been in, in remote New Guinea as a really, the, the last, I think, of the, of the really classical anthropologists, you know, his whole life has been surrounded by uh, a handful of people that he's known very, very deeply. And I, you know... When he went back to Sydney, uh, I I said, to him, what, what's the hardest thing? You know, is it COVID? Is it, is it new? He said, no. You know, it, it's just being around thousands upon thousands of people that I have no connection with whatsoever. And because I've lived my whole life, you know, <laughs> the last 15 years, totally connected with people I know. All the time, every day, and it's a totally different world perspective. And from that world, you could see how language would be about finding some common ground, some sort of uh, marketplace, or maybe it's the the watering hole or the toilet space, or you know, all these very, very, you know, basic public shared spaces where we uh, we try to understand what is in someone else's mm-hmm. head because we're worried about you know what 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 are their intentions what what's going on inside their mind it's not a, a behaviorally visible world it's a totally invisible mm-hmm. world so language is a way to kind of connect with that and yet what I think is very interesting across the world uh, culture, and I, I know you, you share this uh, interest, is in shamanism because we we that is the, the category of individual that defines individuality. We accept the shaman is not necessarily part of the watering hole, the the you know, the latrine, the marketplace. They are they are different. They are different than that and they bring back visions from the dream world, from a larger perspective. And somehow, societies, even if they're very small and in battle today or or completely destroyed, uh, they have traditionally been able to manage some respect and support for the shamanistic individual, the unspeakable visions of the individual. Mm -hmm. That's how they packaged it, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: That is interesting in terms of the shaman being a, a locus point for the unspeakable visions because how it was presented originally was as a potentially negative thing, right? But I guess it goes back to our oscillations and that there's no easy answers, and these concepts tend to seesaw between the positive and the negative, whether the unspeakable vision of the individual is something that is corrupted and interested in imprisoning fellow people, animals, the environment, or is an actual message from uh, metalinguistic beings that are that's incapable of being translated into speech is really a matter of the place and time and the individual themselves. Well,
1: yes, I mean absolutely and I, th- I think that the, the the deep lesson here is that uh, it's anti inductive thinking I mean inductive thinking is is genius is cultural genius, and I don't care what uh, you know certain people think about that or who anyone who wants to think that's a white idea I'm sorry it's not. Uh, it's an enormously handy idea, and it's worked very well. But it doesn't work all, you know, it doesn't always work. The other alternative is to think, no, only individual circumstances matter. Individuals matter. We will deal with every case on its own merits. And that is the real oscillation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. It's not between inductive and deductive. It's between inductive and the ability to engage with incredibly specific personal situations you know of of who is saying what what are they saying uh what dream did that come out of uh how does that relate to anyone can we even incorporate that successfully into our culture maybe we can't maybe we do have to uh you know maybe the maybe there are some moments where some people just do have to be exiled or or you know uh dealt with more firmly because their their views are just too radical i mean there is that mm-hmm. there is that possibility
0: mm-hmm. no absolutely i think for this episode that's a good place to pause we'll pick that up next week it's a very fruitful conversation with a lot with lots of stuff to talk about so we can get back to that next time but we have segments to get to here we have uh, the riddle that I gave at the beginning we have my Mm -hmm. uh, mind, my cognitive challenge we have a practical tip and we have a dream so Chris, would you like to attempt to solve the riddle first or would you like to hear my story about what your neighbors are looking for? You know, David. I,
1: I look. I'm, I'm going to go with the neighbor story first mm-hmm. because I know your riddle is going to be kick-ass. Because you've had now a week to sort of look at this, but I, I, I want to do the real-time exercise of what you think is going on downstairs. Cool.
0: So your neighbor takes over this apartment fr- or this condo rather, from his grandmother. Correct. This is right. Well. After she passed away, this person saw a huge cash opportunity. So once acquiring the condo, he goes through all of the jewelry boxes. He looks high and low for stored cash here and there, finds what he can, pawns a few things. He's going to be good for a few months. But as he's looking, a photo album slips off of the top, from the very top of the closet and he opens it and begins to flip through and he sees pictures of himself as a child and as he's looking he notices because this guy has a keen eye for what's worth money that in one of those pictures he's holding a beanie baby and that beanie baby is steg the stegosaurus now steg the stegosaurus was his favorite toy growing up. He would take Steg with him everywhere, even though his mother was, or his grandmother rather, was pretty protective of her Beanie Babies. She allowed him to carry Steg around because he was so into dinosaurs, right? But he's looking at the picture and he's saying, oh my God, it's Steg and he's, he's brown and he's got green and, and yellow hues. That's not a knockoff. That's a, that's a, real, that's a real Steg Beanie Baby well i don't know if you know this but in 2021 steg the stegosaurus was uh was birthed because beanie babies are born uh in on november 1st of 1994 but in 2021 steg the stegosaurus is worth forty thousand dollars so he is searching high and low for his childhood toy a stegosaurus that he carried with him everywhere hoping against hope that he can find the pot of gold hidden in the walls.
1: I just love that game. <laughs> I just had to play along. Yeah, it's
0: great. I thought
1: it was beautiful. You've got a great narrative talent. Oh, thank you. Maybe you should be a writer. Maybe, yeah
0: we'll see i don't know I might uh I got some index cards here I've been working on a novel nano rimos coming up so I'm gonna try to do some do some writing then I might come up with something cool but do you want to do you want to hear the riddle again and and see it's really on, on the one hand my my riddle is sort of a moral question but there is oh well, that's that's there good, a, man there that's there good. is a trick in it remember so you are deciding what disease to release on the public. You mm-hmm. have to. They're going to send your family to Guantanamo Bay if you don't release one of your, one of your projects. <laughs> the first one will make 10% of all children it comes into contact with blind. Or I'm sorry, crippled. The second one will make everyone over the age of 80 who comes into contact with it blind the third is guaranteed beyond the shadow of a doubt to kill a ton of people which one do you choose
1: i like it i like it you formulated a really uh complex uh moral question you know which i think is uh one of the things that is that riddles don't get the credit for uh, about really being uh, interrogations of of morals and ethics, they they just appear to be kind of tricks of language and concept. Well, there is a um, linguistic
0: trick in there. There is a linguistic trick. Yeah. So at the end, there, do you do you want me to give you my answer to the riddle? That I.
1: That... Oh well, I don't. I don't want you to give oh, okay. me. I think you should share with our listeners. Oh, with the listeners. Okay.
0: Okay. Well. I did say that the third one will kill a ton of people. So how much does a ton weigh? 2,000 right? Two so pounds, right? 2,000 pounds, So we're talking yeah. maybe a dozen people, maybe half a dozen if it's Americans. Um, mm mm-hmm. <laughs> So to my mind, you'd pick the one that's going to kill a ton of people because that's not very many people
1: well as someone at disneyland once said to me you're a sick man you're a sick man
0: all right
1: that's wonderful right. okay well i think you did very well on that on both counts on Excellent. both counts and i think that i hope listeners keep appreciating that uh you know we talk today about education as something that people can access you know excess and that's just nonsense education is something that we commit to as individuals and you have to have the spirit of learning and engagement and enough self-esteem to combat some interesting new ideas and to take on board some new things and i'm i'm really i'm really proud of of working with david and just seeing how he responds to things and and grows every opportunity I mean that's the question do you grow an opportunity given to you or do you just respond to it because most people don't even respond to it absolutely but if you actually are growing stuff if you're building stuff if you're making stuff in the garage laboratory you know of your head and your heart uh well you know there is a future and if you're not well, there's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as simple as that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, here's our uh, our, our practical tip for the day, and um, I've run this past um, some of my old uh, military intelligence people because uh, it, it does relate to some of the <laughs> personal strain I'm under uh, with this. I mean, I love where I live, and I, I'm really uh you know i'm concerned about having to gun up mm-hmm. uh with with people around me um you know it, it's confrontational you know you, you you just i mean the first thought i have is like i wish i i had all my male friends from the past mm-hmm. around me for support you know and it's nothing against the female uh friends i have but there comes a time when you you know you want some you know, you want some brawn, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you want some gun. But this is about the question of inexplicable human behavior, which I think is is outside of all violence. Uh, It's just a question of uh, what do you do in the face of inexplicable behavior? Mm. And here's what I've come up with over the course of my lifetime. And I've I'm working on now developing this with uh, some military intelligence people because I think there are three really good answers to that, um, and they're you know they're not as satisfactory as we'd like. They're not like in a, you can't expect street taco answers for inexplicable behavior. That's the whole point. But anyway, here they are. Faced with inexplicable behavior, point one. If possible, suspend all response. If not possible, follow instinct fully.
0: Hmm.
1: Avoid rational response. Two, await, seek, demand more data if possible. Three, at all costs, no matter what the costs, preserve options of action. And I think those are very uh, practical points of view for situations where we're dealing with people with guns and violence and, or, or crazy uh, you know, love affairs gone wrong. But just you know, if you want me to do them again, I'll, I'll, I think they're worth saying. Sure, yeah, we can hear them again. You know, you know. If possible, suspend response. If not possible, depend fully. Follow instinct. Two. Await. Seek more data. Three. Preserve options at all costs and i think that's a good you know i think that's a good yeah. argument for uh, dealing with with crazy situations where you just they're they're the whole point of them is that they're not following into a normal framework right. okay all right okay that that's life yep. you know that is life sometimes mm-hmm. and so well what do you do uh, so I think those three th- points, but I think that last point is really important. Give yourself room to move, you know, as a fighter, you know, as a as a combatant. Uh, don't close yourself off. Give yourself options, give yourself escape routes, give yourself other angles, you know. Don't overcommit, mm-hmm. you know. So that's the... Uh, that's the practical tip for this week which is a little bit somber and sober but uh, I'm sorry I'm dealing with some you know some serious people but I have a fun dream Let's though go. all right okay so I was uh, visiting uh, a, an old friend uh, at the University of Chicago in my dream and uh, South Chicago you know is it was home and it still could be home to some of the greatest blues clubs of all time, and uh, it's Chicago's kind of turned into a bloodbath because we have a, you know, a very sort of left-wing lesbian mayor who uh, doesn't know how to deal with the police, and things are going crazy. But in the dream, I went to this blues club, and this simply enormous—I mean, enormous solo guitarist, like a really ancient black guy who's like three or four thousand pounds appeared on stage. But as he played chords, he began to divide and to make a band, which I think is really kind of what, you know, your major, you know, black blues guitarist. And he sang a song about being in passionate love with a woman. And that's kind of one of my things. you know, I, I really I, I feel like there's been a kind of um, lack of approval from society for being desperately in love with a woman. And I I I'm I'm wanting to reinvent that in my own life. But his deal in the song was he's eating this huge meal and it's really greasy and difficult. And and the key line that I took away from the song was I really wanted to hold her but I had chicken hands. You know, he's all messed up with this food and yet he really wants to get a hold of this woman and just not only just bang the hell out of her but but you know marry her give give her 10 babies like be you know be something with her for all eternity and yet the 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 song line is i had chicken hands you know it's always this something that is is downplaying this love and this passion and this connection because of the practical thing of just eating and being messy and just being male and being difficult, and I thought, you know, I woke up in the morning thinking, you know, we all have chicken hands, you know, it's not just men who have chicken hands, women have chicken hands, everyone's got chicken hands, you know, we're all messy, you know, it's just all difficult to get to love and compassion and anything that's enduring, Uh, but, you know, You know, fucking hell. I mean, babies coming out of wombs. I mean, that's ugly and messy and bloody and weird. Mm -hmm. You know, why are we so always so apologetic about being messy? You know, so that was my takeout out out of Excellent.
0: I love that. That's great. There's a lot to think about, both in the practical tip and in the dream. So, once again, thanks everybody for coming over to the Patreon side with us. We're happy to have you here. We'll be back next week with another episode. And we'll be doing another happy hour soon, too. We'll have to schedule that. But, uh, yeah.
1: And we have the book club launching. I'm really ready to launch, David. I'm really, this is an exciting book to to kick off with. So we've got some continuing education and community-building stuff. We're, we're serious about this. We really are.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time.